welcome to Kohler Commentary. It's your host, Unji Kohler, and today I'm joined by Grace Yoon, formerly Grace Kim. I originally met Grace at the University of Texas at Austin, where we got to serve on a mission trip together in Nicaragua her sophomore year and my freshman year of college. A close friend, Steph, Stephanie, and I would always talk about how awesome Grace is, smart, pretty, athletic, confident, a leader, and so much more. And although we never got to stay in close touch over the years, I'm always grateful for that trip and the ways we saw God work and how he allowed us to be connected in a more kingdom-like way. After Grace was done being a freaking boss on campus, she now resides in the Bay Area with her husband and their two pandemic kitties. Grace heads up the global SMB program management team at Pinterest and is a lover of books, hikes, and travel. While incredibly accomplished in so many ways, what attracts people to Grace, or at least me, is her extreme warmth, approachability, and smile. She leads with her heart and allows that to overflow in who she is. So without further ado, hi, Grace. Wow, that was a very uh, flattering intro, and thank you. <laughs> I know, way to start the mushy-gushy early. Um, that, that's how I do it. Hi, how are you doing today? Good. Long time no speak or no talk. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, seriously, not long time no nothing, and then I message you asking if you would like to be on my podcast that I, you know, so many people listen to today. So. <laughs> So thank you for being my debut guest. Um, no pressure. I really yeah, no pressure at all. Um, obviously, I, I picked you because you're just that amazing. Um, and I would <laughs> honestly love to have you back on the podcast someday to talk about different areas of your life. And honestly, like the what it must have been like to grow up with the amount of ambition and success I feel like you have in all aspects of your life. Um, but that's for another conversation. I'm excited and really humbled that you have chosen to join me in sharing a different story, um, your journey alongside Darren, your husband, to grow your family together. And while we're really excited with where you guys are today, there has been a lot that you guys have endured together. And, and I just want you to be able to kind of share your story and and note that I've been able to follow some of it like li little bits and pieces from the vulnerability you've like bravely shared um, through your blogs and and I just feel so compelled to know that your your journey is really powerful and and your your own journey but I I know it would help so many people and encourage um, all the listeners today so so what <laughs> Yeah. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> so first of all, a huge congrats to um, your soon impending due date, beautifully glowing at 34 <laughs> weeks. So props to you. I also um, want to hear about your pregnancy journey. <laughs> I yeah. don't like so much about people's pregnancies journeys and their birth stories. So that's yeah. probably for another time as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and we could we should have like a whole maybe like after your four, and I'm totally saying this as if you're not going to have like a newborn, but maybe someday, <laughs> you know, we could talk about birth journeys on another podcast. I'm yeah. sure like people would love to continue to follow your journey as you guys continue on this path. Um, but today, I think we want to start back to, I guess, the beginning or, you know, where, where this journey began for you guys. So the way I'm going to kind of guide our conversation is um, you actually wrote three blog posts that I found to just be really moving in your writing and in the ways that you've chosen to express your thoughts. Your first blog post is I'm still not ready to talk about it. You know, just reading kind of the beginnings of where you guys were in your journey of 
trying to get pregnant. Um, mm-hmm. You guys had some news about what that looked like for you as a couple. And I, I wanted to start it there on what the news was and and what your emotions were when having to accept that. Yeah, I mean, so I think it was starting in 2019 um, is when Darren and I first started trying to get pregnant. And, you know, we heard from a lot of people that it would take time. You know, it takes people months, if not a year, up to a year to get pregnant. Um, and we, when we went to go see our OBGYN after a few months, she was like, oh, just come back after you've been trying for a year and then we'll figure out next steps. So, mm-hmm. yeah, for about a year, we just, you know, tried naturally as people do. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And then after a year with no results, we went back to my OBGYN and she <clears throat> actually referred us to a fertility clinic. Um, and that's when we just ran like a whole gamut of tests to make sure things were OK on both of our ends. Um, And that's when we found out that because Darren battled um, cancer, when he was like in first grade, he was infertile. And so that's why we, you know, our year of trying wasn't working. And so it was just kind of like, well, is he like completely infertile or is there any type of chance? And so we started going down that route. He went to go see a urologist, not a urologist. Is it a urologist? He went to go see a specialist. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. this specialist was like one of the most renowned specialists in this area. Mm -hmm. And he basically was like, you know, we could do an extraction where they kind of take a little piece of Darren, I guess, and like run a test through it. But he's like, honestly, the chances of that is so, 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 so low. And the risk is Mm -hmm. pretty high. And so he didn't necessarily recommend going down that route. I, I feel like if it was something more like, oh, maybe there's a chance, like 50-50, then maybe we would think about the risk. But it was like God completely shut that door in our face. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the only two ways forward would either be through donor uh, sperm or through adoption. So Mm -hmm. there was like zero chance that I would be able to carry Darren's biological child. So when you guys were hit with that news, what were your reactions to that? And then like you just shared the options that were presented in front of you, like how did you go about navigating that together yeah I mean it was definitely hard I think it didn't really hit me until Mm -hmm. we spoke to the specialist and it was it was like the dorm slammed in our face and looking back now I think I I am grateful that it was such like a resounding no (laughs) versus like like a dragged out hope like maybe there's a chance maybe we can go down this other route Um, so it just kind of forced us to weigh those two options, but I think like the hardest part of it was, uh, sharing with family because Darren is the only son in his family of like all girls. (laughs) So he like carries the family line, you know, um, he has a sister and he has two, three girl cousins. Um, and so he's the only kind of male in his family. And so having to like, oh, and when we got married, both of us actually changed our last name to Yun. So his last name was actually Lao, which is his uh, last name on his dad's side. But when we got married, we he wanted to kind of like honor his mother's side because he grew oh. up like super close to his mother's side, not as close to his dad's side. <clears throat> and his dad passed away when he was really young and all of that stuff. So yeah, when we got married, he changed his last name to Yun. And we were like excited to kind of like carry down that Yun line because yeah. he, he was like the only, you know, the only Yun that could kind of do that in a sense. Very sweet. So yeah, so I think that was also very devastating for the yeah. both of us because it, it was just like 
one door after another. And so sharing with his grandpa and like his family and, you know, obviously they were very understanding and, you know, they were heartbroken for us, not because like the family name couldn't be carried down or anything like that. But I think it was just really, that's when I think it finally hit us when we had to actually share the news with our family. With kind of like the the shock of it all and then like the different options that were also kind of playing, maybe playing through your head. How did that part of the journey look like for you guys in terms of weighing out what was next between a donor option or an adoption option? Um, and mm-hmm. And if this happened during the pandemic or if this was something that happened right before the pandemic? It happened right during the pandemic because so we tried for all of 2019 and then Ah. early in 2020, that's when we found out some of these new the news and then, you know, everything shut down March of 2020. And so it was kind of around the same time. And so, yeah, I mean, I think between the two options, it was hard because on one hand, you know, I wanted to go through the experience of pregnancy and like carrying a child and going through all of that. But on the other hand, you know, it's someone else's sperm, you know, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not Derek's baby in a sense, in, in a biological sense. And I didn't really want to carry like a random person's baby in, in a way. But then, you know, adoption was another option. And I don't know, part of me was a little bit worried or nervous that I wouldn't love like an adopted child as much as one that I carried mm-hmm. for nine months and like birthed. And obviously like an adopted child would also not carry any biological connection to Darren at all. I mean, either way, no biological connection, yeah. but, yeah. Um, but I wondered if, you know, like personally, if I could love an adopted child as much as one that I carried myself. So I don't know, those were the two, the two things that I thought about. And ultimately I think both of us wanted to go through the experience of like pregnancy and the birth and all of that. So we went, we went the donor route. Hmm. Did you guys come like, were you guys united from the start with all of these decisions or was it like you felt a little pull this way or a little pull that way? You know, I think Darren actually moved on or accepted it a lot faster than I did, Hmm. Um, which, you know, I think just goes, to reflect his capacity to love like I think yeah. he's just a very he he's just a very loving person and so he had absolutely no doubt in his mind that he would love whatever child you know that we either adopted or <clears throat> that I carried um I think it was just a little bit harder for me because you know in my mind I was like oh I'm gonna have a child that looks like him or you know yeah. <laughs> yeah. so I think that was that was the hardest thing for me to accept yeah, I feel like whenever I've seen y'all's relationship through even just social media, like I feel like that's always been shared about your husband, how he has that <laughs> loving quality. So it's really amazing to hear that um, present even in this time and giving you the space to process where you're ready for your decision as well. So in your blog, you wrote about how when the pandemic happened, right? And you wrote, it's easier because I didn't have to constantly face people and pretend everything was okay harder because all the distractions were stripped away and I had to actually feel my emotions. And so I was wondering if you can kind of share what those raw emotions look like or raw thoughts you might have had, whether it be towards God, towards yourself, towards others that were experiencing different things, towards Darren or family. Um, Just kind of wanted to have you elaborate on that. Yeah, I mean, I think looking back now, it was definitely a feeling of like grief and mourning and I mean, I, I think I'm just very lucky that I never really had to mourn for anybody 
that was like super mm. close to me. You know, my parents are still alive. Like my brother's still here. Uh, my grandparents are still alive, you know, all of that. So I feel like I, <clears throat> I never had to really grieve or mourn for the loss of something um, as much as I did through this experience. So I think I, I wasn't equipped to know how to handle that kind of grief. And I didn't even recognize it. And, and so I think the way that I first dealt with it was just through numbing myself to it. Um, work got super crazy. You know, we were all working from home. So it was hard to separate work and life. And so I just kept myself busy and I tried not to think about it. In a way, it was just, I just didn't process the emotion um, at all. Because of the pandemic, I didn't have to talk to anybody about it. <laughs> um, mm. People were like, oh, how are you doing? And then I'd just be like, fine. And, you know, we would move on. So it wasn't like I had to face people and like really express what I was feeling. So it it did make it easier to just kind of like move forward without actually having to move forward and process. You know, I, I journal a lot. Like I've been journaling since I was, I don't know, elementary school maybe um and so I think it was just in the process of journaling and really trying to get back in touch with my emotions that I slowly started to open myself up to feeling everything and then um slowly reaching out to friends to talk about it and then yeah and then actually writing the blog post really helped because it allowed me to kind of like put it out there without having to face people and talk about it. And then I think through that, you know, a lot of people actually reached out and people who, again, you know, I, I didn't really keep close in close touch with, or just sort of random acquaintances I had over time, they all reached out with their own stories of infertility and IVF and all of these things. Um, and it was really, really helpful to know that I wasn't alone. Because <clears throat> I, I think that's the biggest lie that the enemy can tell you is that, you know, nobody else can understand you should face this by yourself. And I think just opening up and allowing people to share their stories helped me feel like, okay, it's not that nobody can understand. I mean, even someone reached out to me who, you know, he, he didn't, his wife didn't go through IVF or anything like that, but they had a, a son and then the son had brain tumor. And so in the first year of his life, they went through so many, you know, surgeries and hospital visits and things like that and he's like you know if I knew all of this was going to happen would I have made the decision to even have my son like that's mm. a question I ask myself and it's not exactly the same situation yeah. but it's like it, it's it's helpful to know I think that there are people who struggle and like there are people who go through tragedy and who mourn and who grieve um, it just helps you feel a little less alone and it kind of puts everything back in context for you. So I think that was really helpful. Yeah, I mean, I think hearing you share his reflections on would I even, you know, if I were to go back, I think, you know, there's just, they're just such honest thoughts that I feel like a lot of people go through when they face something, but they feel like either it's like too bad of a thought or like something that they can't mm -hmm. share, but creating a space. I feel like what you did was really create a space for like such safety to be shared in like in this, in the different experiences that everyone had. Um, so, so thank you for sharing that in your post. Um, I wanted to read a quote that you had written in your journal and then you brought it onto your post. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. 
Is it too much to ask? I even gave up my desire of carrying Darren's baby. All I want is my effing period so we can go into the fertility clinic and I can be injected with another man's sperm. Why is everything so hard? Why is God still making us wait? I'm just so tired of waiting. Our time will come, Darren kept reassuring me. And yes, maybe it will. Maybe my period will finally come tomorrow or next week or three months from now. Eventually it'll come. But who's to say that after it comes and I go in to get injected, that sperm will even penetrate an egg and that egg will implant. Maybe we'll have to go through four rounds of treatment before I actually get pregnant. And in between each round is another confounding and frustrating period of waiting. And even if I do get pregnant, there's still a 25% chance of miscarriage. I think when I read that, I had, <laughs> yeah, I was just like, there's just so much rawness in, in what you wrote. And and yeah, I don't want to like say anything else. I just kind of wanted to like read that and kind of ask you what it was like to navigate your emotions with God, who I know you have a really good relationship with, but I'm sure this t at this time, it was like a really difficult place for you. And then also all these thoughts that you were having, like, what was it like to have to, to face all these statistics that are true or all these things that are possible? Um, yeah. And, and having to stay in a place where you are grounded. Yeah. I mean, as you were reading that, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, I guess those are my words but like as you were reading that the image the image that I got was like of us in like a very dark room with like a flashlight in front of us right and God just kind of shows us one step ahead and we don't know what's coming and in a way it could be really frustrating and really scary to not know what's ahead you know there might be a pothole that we're missing or whatever but I think it's also now looking back such a blessing because everything that I wrote I'm like, wow, I went through all of that. Like, um, yeah. you know, I, I had three unsuccessful rounds of insemination, like IUI. We went through IVF. We had a miscarriage. We went through IVF again. And like, if I knew all of that was coming, oh my gosh, mm. I would have been so, it would have been so hard to know that, oh man, this is what I have to face. You know, I think again, sort of with that, that flashlight imagery, it's like, I just, we just have to take one step ahead in faith and hope that, you know, God is walking with us in that. So, yeah, I mean, hearing that it's like, okay, even though I didn't know all of this was going to happen, all I could do at the time was just take one step forward and keep moving forward. And I think that's the hardest thing to do, or at least in my journal, that was like the hardest thing. Cause it's like every step forward, you have to wait every step forward. Yeah. Um, you just have to take in faith and hope that it's for the best. Yeah, it it's definitely hard, but th that's the only thing we can do, you know, you can just move forward. And, and sometimes you have to sit down and like take a break or have someone help you get back up. But I think at the end of the day, it's the only thing you can do is just keep moving forward. In, in that moment, like how were some of your thoughts or feelings towards God at that time? Definitely a lot of resentment, <laughs> a lot of anger, a lot of like, why me? Why now? Um, because a lot of the stories that other people had reached out to me about was like their own journey with infertility and IVF. But at the end of the day, all of them, even if it took eight years, all of them successfully had a biological child. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like that was the one thing that like God was completely denying from me. And mm -hmm. I just didn't understand why, like, why? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that was really hard, especially knowing that anything is possible with God. If he can make a virgin give birth, then 
you know, why was it so hard to magically allow like fertile semen to grow a Darren or whatever, you know, like I, I just couldn't understand why he, he was giving us such a resounding no for an answer. Um, and I still don't understand, but, but at the end of the day, I mean, I think time and time again, God has shown me in so many ways, little and big, that his plans are greater than my plans. And I know that's so cliche to say, but like, I mean, even thinking back in high school, I wanted to go to Stanford so bad. It was like my dream <laughs> school, you know, my best friend and I were going to go there together. <laughs> and um, I didn't get in. <laughs> and <What>? I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know I'm I'm so happy because it brought me yeah. to UT and it brought me to the best friends that I could have ever met there and got to graduate without any debt in college and things like that and you know as like a 17 18 year old how could I have imagined that you know and in other ways like whenever God shuts a door I later in hindsight look back and say oh wow that was such a great Thing that God did and shutting that door because it allowed me to go this way. So I think mm-hmm. it just comes from knowing that, okay, this isn't what I wanted. But at the end of the day, like I know looking back, I will be thankful mm-hmm. and I will, I just trust that, you know, his plans are greater and his ways are greater than I can even fathom. So I think it just comes down to that. But it took me, yeah. it took me a long time to get there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, that's obviously like an example of a really strong faith, but I'm sure still in the moments that was extremely difficult to like firmly declare. I'm curious also, like one part was that I think I read that you also found out you had PCOS or what, what, what part of that was like, I guess embedded in because I know that made it like harder in terms of waiting and that was just like mm-hmm. another like what the f slap kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, yeah, can you yeah. just share a little bit more about that because I think a lot of women I know like actually have that in their in their own story. Um, so I kind of wanted to just hear. Yeah, I mean I've always had irregular periods, but mm. I don't know. I I never saw an OBGYN in my time yeah, in Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's like a Texas thing or just like an Asian thing. <laughs> no, I mean, saying the opposite way. So yeah, I, my mom always yeah. said, let's, let's go to the doctor, but we never did. Like it was Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I just, I didn't even know that was like a thing that women yeah. should be doing is go to the OBGYN. <laughs> so I never, yeah. So I never saw a doctor about it. And then I remember when I first moved to San Francisco, I did see a doctor and told, and it was a, it was a male doctor. Um, mm-hmm. And I told him that my periods were really irregular. And he was like, yeah, I mean, as long as you have like one a year, it's fine. So I was like, oh, okay, well, I definitely have more than one a year. So I guess it's fine. (laughs) Um, So I just never thought about it. But ever since I got my first period, you know, I've always had very irregular periods. Some months I would have it twice. Other times I would have it like once every three months, four months. Um, And so when we started- Very irregular. Yeah, yeah, very regular. It just blew my mind that women knew Mm. exactly when their periods would come because that Mm. never happened to me. And then, yeah, so when we started going through the fertility stuff, they did all the tests and everything. And actually, surprisingly enough, they weren't the ones that told me that I had PCOS. Um, Darren and I actually went to like a Chinese traditional sort of medicine place or whatever. And they did like acupuncture. And then they also took uh, some blood samples and stuff. And then that's they were like, oh, I think you might have PCOS. You should go ask your OB about that or whatever. Um... And that's when I went to the fertility clinic and I was like, 
hmm, do, do I have PCOS? They're like, oh, yeah, you do. I was like, oh, that, were you not going to tell me? <laughs> or like, yeah. But, <laughs> but I guess for them, they were like, well, even if you have it or don't have it, it wouldn't change anything about your treatment plan. So it wasn't really mm. necessarily something that they, I guess, thought was important enough to tell me about. <laughs> or maybe they assumed I knew it. So yeah, I think that news was probably a little bit less like shocking to me because I always knew I had irregular yeah. periods and that's one of the symptoms of PCOS. But yeah, but I mean, when when you go through IUI, which is um, essentially IUI is basically they try to put this the sperm as close to your cervix as possible uh, and time it correctly so that you have the highest chance of getting pregnant. Um, whereas mm. IVF is like they actually take your eggs out of you, then inject sperm in it and then grow the embryo like in a petri dish and then um, inject the pe- uh, the embryo into your uterus so it, like it's a way higher chance of you yeah. getting pregnant with IVF but yeah so when when i was going through IUI and all that you know i would take all this medicine to regulate my hormones so that right when it was time for ovulation they would inject me with like the sperm how yeah. so yeah <laughs> did you go through a lot of new emotions or th- or like new new I don't know like with the hormone injections or things like that like what how was that part yeah I mean the IUI piece was okay because it was just uh pills and then I think right before you go in to get the sperm injected you take like one trigger shot or something like that mm-hmm. um and then when they put the sperm in it's not I mean, it's a little uncomfortable because they, you know, they put like tubes in there and then put the sperm in there and all that, but it's not necessarily painful. It's just a little uncomfortable. Um, so IUI was our first step because we were like, okay, this should hopefully work. <laughs> mm. um, but after three unsuccessful rounds, they were like, okay, we should probably try to do something a little bit more quote unquote invasive because the IUI isn't working. And after three tries, if it's not working, it's probably better to move on to something a little bit more strong (laughs) I guess is the word yeah so how did how did you feel after the IUI process where that wasn't working were there any emotions you processed at that point or realized before the IVF portion happened yeah I was reading through my old journals to try and remember (laughs) and after the first time I was like okay I'm not super devastated because I know it's still a long journey ahead after the second time I was like uh, I really like wanted this to work, but that's okay. You know, we can try again. And I think after the third time, that's when I was like, Ugh, now I have to go through IVF, which is a whole nother game because of mm. how invasive it is to your body, to your time, to your emotions, everything. So I think the the IUI process wasn't as, I don't know, heart-wrenching as like the IVF process was. Okay, so then we reached the IVF process. I guess, can you describe, so so what happens is, like you said, the, the Petri dish where they mm-hmm. put the two together and then they put that back inside of you um, and then mm-hmm. you just kind of wait to see and then and then you got good news. What was that ultimately, if you can share like what that was like for you and Darren or for yourself and then kind of sharing that experience from your first IVF? So it's like bef- when you start the process of IVF, you first take a bunch of shots to essentially grow all of your eggs. Um, so, and also I learned a oh, lot so about the, f- <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I learned a lot about female biology through this whole process. I had no idea how the female reproductive system worked. So that was also very interesting. But essentially what happens is like, you know, your body sort of releases an egg every month. And then if it's not inseminated, then it doesn't implant into your uterus. And then that's when you have your period because, you know, your uterine Um. lining sheds. Um, So that's like the normal process. So usually like your body releases one, maybe two eggs every month. Um, Mm. And every woman has like a set number of eggs when they're born. So they don't create Mm. more. (laughs) And uh, that's why you lose your period after, you know, menopause or whatever, Uh, because you run out of eggs. I've never gone to any type (laughs) of health or science class. I know. (laughs) Thanks, Texas sex education. Seriously. (laughs) Um, so, so essentially with IVF, what you do is as you inject yourself, what you're, what it's telling your body to do is not release the eggs. So you're growing all these eggs to be bigger. I guess it's called follicles, not eggs, but, um, you're, you're trying to grow your follicles to be a certain size. And then what they do right before they extract the eggs from you in via surgery is then they like do a trigger shot and then that releases all of the eggs from your fallopian tube. I hope I'm not being like incorrect <laughs> here. Like all the wise. MDs are like, what? I know. <laughs> I just got no idea what she's talking about. Um, yes. But yeah, so it's like that process itself, you know, it, it's, you feel so bloated at the end because normally um, your body would be releasing an egg every month, but now you're growing all of these like follicles so it almost sometimes looks like you're pregnant, like maybe like oh. 12 to 15 weeks pregnant because you have all these follicles oh that are, yeah. I think I think they need to be like 20 millimeters or something in size before it's like ready to release it, before it's mature enough to re- release an egg. So yeah, you release, you do that, you grow all your follicles, then you go into surgery, they extract the eggs that are in those follicles, and then they then take your eggs and then take the sperm and then inseminate all the eggs. And out of the eggs that they got, not all of them will be successfully inseminated. So it's it's a numbers game. So then after they inseminate it, they'll grow the, I guess at that point, it's like an embryo to the blastocyst stage. And the blastocyst stage is when in a normal woman, you're like, I think eight weeks or 10 weeks pregnant or something like that <clears throat> before it mm-hmm. becomes like a, a fetus or embryo. And then from there, they do genetic testing on those blastocysts to make sure they're chromosomally normal. So for the ones that are not chromosomally normal, that means there's a higher chance of miscarriage with those. So they'll basically throw them away. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like you you got, let's say for me, it was like 23 eggs out of those 23 you know, let's just say like 18 got inseminated out of the 18, like 10 came back chromosomally normal. And out of the 10, eight, like uh, made it to the blastocyst phase or whatever. So it it just like, it's a numbers game. And that's why some women, when they go through IVF, they might only get like five eggs or six eggs. And out of those, like three could be successfully um, going through the blastocyst stage. And out of those, maybe like one is chromosomally normal. So it could be like a really hard, (laughs) emotionally trying time there because it's like, oh shoot, my chances are so low here. Or, you know, even if my chances were high, by the time you get to the end of the funnel, you only have like two or three embryos that you could potentially implant. Anyway, where where am I going with all of this? <laughs> well, I mean, now I know exactly what the process <laughs> looks like um, and yeah. how how arduous that is. So once you get the ones that are made the blastocyst mm-hmm. stage, 
do they put each of those back in all together or is like one by one like that you see if it yeah so i think in america it's usually one by one my parents were saying how in korea they usually inject two just to make so the chances higher yeah so you could get to it <laughs> so my parents okay, were like yeah yeah the chance is higher okay. So once you have the blastocyst, they'll like freeze some and then they'll leave one for you to inject. And then after you inject, then you do more shots for your hormones like estrogen and uh, estrogen pills and progesterone shots. And then there's a progesterone pill that you put into your vagina twice a day, uh, wow. which is yeah, so gross and uncomfortable and then the, the progesterone and oil shots are like the worst because the needles are two and a half to three inches long and it goes sort of in the back above your butt and it just makes you so sore and it's yeah there's so many shots through IVF <laughs> and then there's like coordination with like your insurance like picking yeah. up the shots picking up the pills it's just so emotionally and like physically trying I commend anyone who has gone through that process so your body has already been through a crazy battle um, <laughs> dang, that's insane so then with that you guys chose to it was one egg, one egg that you put in mm -hmm. and then sorry i i learned everything and i'm still probably it, <laughs> even, even so in, incorrect even though i'm like married into like a doctor family <laughs> yeah uh -huh. you should get this fact checked by maddie before it goes out <laughs> i know um okay so like that happened and then you're faced with good news in that mm -hmm. moment where you're excited for what is to come and I, I didn't want to fast forward in case you want to kind of share that in the momentness of of this first IVF um so I, I did want to like make sure you had that yeah. chance if you wanted to you know they tell you not to take an at-home pregnancy test because with all the hormones that you're injecting yourself with it there's a chance for a false positive even though you're not pregnant things like that but I really couldn't wait. So I <laughs> took I took an at-home pregnancy test. The first response one, you can detect pregnancy like six days before uh, yeah. your last period or whatever. So I took it literally on day six and I saw like a very faint line and I was like, okay, don't, yeah. don't get your hopes up. You know, it's not, you don't know until you actually go into the fertility clinic and they do a blood test. Then I took another one like three days before uh, I'm, I was supposed to go in for the blood test and like the line was definitely a lot darker, but I was like, okay, mm. don't share with anyone. Don't tell anyone because it's still not sure. Um, and then th you go in for a blood test and then they call you that day, I guess, to let you know whether you're pregnant or not. And then so as soon as they told us, I just like FaceTimed my parents and showed them the pregnancy test and we all started crying. So it was, mm. it was very, yeah, it was very happy. <laughs> yes. Thank you for sharing your initial emotions and kind of being able to share, I guess, even the the tears of joy with your family. I know that this is maybe harder for you to share. Um, yeah, I'm going to read your blog post at this time um, just to kind of like guide the next part of our conversation um, where you titled it Moving On and you did have a miscarriage and it had been about a month since you had found out and you kind of once again bravely wrote this post where you're able to kind of process or share those words. And so I wanted to read one part where you wrote, obviously the loss of life is the most devastating aspect of what happened, but I think I equally mourn the loss of all the hope and anticipation I had unreservedly allowed to balloon inside of me during my first trimester. 
It was canceling the gender reveal party we planned that weekend for family. It was texting the same friends I had excitedly shared our good news with early on, a much different message. It was removing a registry on pregnancy apps so I would stop getting notifications that my fetus was now the size of a lime. It was remembering how hard I cried seeing a positive pregnancy test for the first time in my life. It was realizing and dreading that I would have to go through another round of poking myself with three inch long needles and inserting pills into my vagina twice a day. But worst of all, and I'm still tearing up as I write this, it was finding out what happened during our 12 week ultrasound, the ultimate milestone that was supposed to herald us into a safer pastures and the one I was most excited to share with Darren. Thank you for writing that and just um, <laughs> sharing what's obviously like what is a really tough time for you and, you know, even wanting to share my heart with you. I know. Yeah, great. So like, I guess I wanted to ask you about like what this time was like for you as you processed, right? What you wrote was the most devastating part of it all and mourning that loss, but then also all those other things that kind of are just embedded in with, with who you are of how you have, you are like a community person and how you're one that's relational with others and just having to have those conversations and even now after hearing about the IVF process it's like oh my gosh you have to do that crap again um yeah 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 I mean I think you know everyone says oh don't share anything before your 12 weeks because there's a higher risk of miscarriage and things like that but I think because it took us so long to even get yeah. to that point I just needed, you know, more support. And so I had already shared with family and like a bunch yeah. of close friends. I don't know. I, I was just so excited and my mind runs like thousand miles per hour. So I was already like planning, you know, like, <laughs> I was texting my friends like, you know, when did you start shopping for maternity clothes? When did yeah. you start putting, putting together your registry? Uh, so I was already like weeks and weeks ahead of that. And so I think that was probably one of the hardest parts of that was putting having to put the brakes on all these like hopes and dreams that I had allowed myself to feel because I think even though logically I knew that every pregnancy has a chance I think it's like a 25% chance of miscarriage mm -hmm. I thought because we went through IVF and we did all of the genetic testing and they basically threw away all the embryos that could lead to a miscarriage I just thought the chance of a miscarriage was not there <laughs> or not not yeah. that it wasn't there but I thought it was really low and I definitely didn't ex obviously no one expects it but I really really didn't expect it that was probably the hardest thing having to text family be and be like you know what we're not going to do the gender reveal because we don't have it anymore <laughs> you know and so yeah it was definitely all those little things yeah as you're sharing like the the planning that you did do so kind of like the logistics of not going through with those plans like were you able to mourn that loss or what did that look like for you and Darren together yeah lots of tears I mean I think I ended up really appreciating people who weren't like oh let's let's get on a call right now let's talk through it or yeah. you know things like that they just texted just to be like hey I'm just texting to let you know I'm thinking of you don't need to text me back. <laughs> like, um, just giving me space to know that again, I wasn't alone because I think it's so easy to fall into that trap, especially when yeah. you see, especially with social media through, uh, through the pandemic, because that's all you can see, right? You can't actually see people in person. So all you see is their, their social media and you see everyone else seeming to move on with their lives. Like everyone's having kids, they're, you know, um, 
having multiple kids. <laughs> um, yeah. And it was just like, gosh, we can't even have one. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I think just knowing that people were thinking of us, I mean, I really appreciated it when people in my community would just reach out and say, hey, just want to let you know, I was reading this and this first made me think of you and I started praying for you and, you know, things like that. It was it was really encouraging to to hear that. So I think it was just little by little trying to, again, allow myself to feel. I, I remember there was this um, sermon that I listened to where it was like the first step in the healing process is to name your emotions. And I think mm. that was really hard to do because my initial reaction, and it's different for everybody, but always my first reaction is kind of to shut everything out and like numb myself to everything so I don't have to feel mm, it because yeah. feeling it is so painful. Yeah. Um, and so I think just once I got to numb it out, then it was like slowly allowing myself to feel it little by little by naming it, saying, I am sad, I am angry, I am, you know, like heartbroken, I'm really, really resentful towards God. And just naming those things helped at least the emotions to flow through me rather than being blocked yeah, inside me. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's good. And I think it sounds so simple to like name a, an emotion, but that's like so hard. I feel like to do in, in this time and like really sit down and, and say it out loud. And so I think that's um, a really good, even just like tip for a lot of people who might be going through um, their own battles. Um, so as we kind of like talk about your relationship with God at this point in at least your blog, you had written that you're at a place now where it wasn't so much like asking God why anymore, but it was still like it was asking him how. So like I felt like, oh, there's like this shift into partnership. And like, you know, even though it's still extremely difficult and and like there is a lot of resentment and like true feelings that you're letting yourself and God's also there with you as you feel them. Um, how 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 did like that part kind of shift in the ways that you were approaching this in faith and with God? I think it's just over time, you know, eventually the why is sometimes futile. Like, you know, God's not necessarily going to give you an answer. (laughs) Maybe when I hopefully see him in heaven one day, I can finally be like, why God? (laughs) But like, but like until then, you know, there's no point in asking why. And all I can do is just, again, just take a step forward and say, okay, this didn't work out. What do you want me to do next? How do you want me to proceed? Is this even right? And throughout the whole time, I just kept struggling with the question of like, is this even what God wants for me? You know, if, yeah. you know, am I still trying to do this? Am I still trying to control everything? Because I think that was mm. the the biggest question is like, going through IVF, going through science, you know, relying on science to help us. Like, is that me trying to still control this? Or what does it mean to like give up or surrender to God? Do I just like sit there and hopefully he like strikes me with a baby or like, you know, how, how does that actually work? I I think that's why it's just so important to, I guess, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I still don't know the answer to that actually, but like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, but I think it's like, as you take a step forward, you just, if God says no, you're like, all right, then what's next? Or how do you want me to move forward? Um, and I don't know, I guess you'll just know whether or not it's right at the end. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. don't know if that makes sense. 
you wrote in that same post um you were talking about good place the good place which like i also Mm -hmm. love that show as well Mm -hmm. and i think it was like so cool how you wrote you know right because this is a spoiler part where the good place the bad place and it's version of hell Mm -hmm. you wrote i was thinking about what my version of personal hell would look like and i think mine would have to do with patience and waiting and i like (laughs) was like oh my gosh me too you know like but like i think the way you just wrote that it like Right. That describes so much of the struggle you guys went through, even before the the IUI parts of it. Right. Even in the year of just like you and Darren trying together, that comes mm-hmm. with like timing things and like figuring things yeah. out and all of that. And and when I when I resonate with that being my version of hell and like <laughs> like the ways you guys had to face that and even in that face of like disappointment with what that looks like you it wasn't ever like okay well I'm gonna stop it was like yeah okay so now how like what's next yeah what's our new approach and I always just like that just like is really inspiring for me to like (laughs) and obviously just read because we're talking for the first time in years but (laughs) but yeah anyway so I just I think like you mentioned um miscarriages are actually common in a sense Mm -hmm. of statistics but it's as you said, like one of the most isolating things that can happen because you don't talk about it and you don't share it. And um, just very like in awe with how you're able to, even if you can't process it verbally to everyone, right? Like in these words that you're able to write, like seeing the comments I've seen people write on your post as well, like how that resonates is, it's really um, inspiring. So that's the end of my little two cents. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's one of those things that unless you go through it, it's so yeah. hard to empathize, you know, because I've, I've had friends tell me that they went through a miscarriage and I know people who've gone through a miscarriage. And I think at the time it's speaking from someone who hadn't gone through a miscarriage before in your mind, you're like, well, you know, you can try next time. Like there's so many yeah. things that you can, you can think, well, that's not the end of the world. You can always have another baby kind of thing. But that's, that is like the wrong thing to say. Yeah. And yeah, that's like the worst thing to say also. But it just, you you just can't empathize with that unless I feel like you go through it yourself. And so for all of the women who have gone through a miscarriage, it's like, I see you and I hear you yeah. and I feel for you so much because it, it is so, so hard. I think even when you're sharing how how people like the ways that resonated or like encourage you the most was just those that text you like, I'm here for you, right? Like, I think a lot of times there is this like pressure of like what to say and like things like that. But knowing it's just like the company of a friend or like knowing yeah. that someone's thinking of you is is better than trying to say something that you can't you have no yeah. place to on, right? And so yeah, yeah. I think that's like a huge takeaway for me as well. Um Okay, so we fast forward. Um, so I guess before we fast forward, um, you you do a second IVF. Do you have, are you using the same, is it like in the batch of eggs that made it to the blastist stage? Yeah, yeah. So okay. we were lucky enough to have eight viable embryos. So okay. essentially, if we wanted to, we can have eight kids. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess seven now. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, it was the same donor and everything. And yeah, also, if anyone has questions on how to like pick donors or how that yeah, it was like is, just so. that that just came to my mind. Too. I was like, wait, we didn't talk about the donor process, which is like a huge part as well. It's honestly. I mean, obviously, like while I was doing it, I was very like, oh, I don't want to do this. But then at the same time, when Darren and I first started dating, I think in 20, 
2013 or 2014, 2013, I guess. Um, that's when like online dating started becoming like a really big thing. Yeah. And I remember in our first like year of dating, I was like, you know, if we stay together forever, you and I will never know what it's like to online date. <laughs> and so I was like, I was like, don't you, aren't you curious? Don't you want to know? Like, maybe we should each go on an online date, you know, and like, see how it is. And he got so mad at me. <laughs> he was like, that is such think- like um, Enneagram seven, because you're Enneagram seven. And that's such a like, a- <laughs> anyways, okay, now's your chance to online date in a I different <laughs> That's what I told Darren. I was like, you know, this is kind of coming full circle because I feel like I'm on Tinder for like baby daddies. <laughs> so yeah, that was a very interesting experience. And another sort of looking back now, I'm like, huh, maybe all the failed IUIs were meant to be because the IUIs that failed, um, we used two or three different donors. Um, Mm. And then when we were about to go through the IVF process and, you know, obviously no donor will ever be as good as Darren, uh, like Darren's baby. But even so, the three that we had picked for the IUI, I was like, "Eh, what? I was like, I didn't love them. (laughs) And then right before we did IVF, I came across a donor profile where I was like, oh my gosh, this is the one. (laughs) Like I was actually excited about it, which I never thought I would feel that about a donor, I guess. But just everything about this this donor, I was like, oh, this is the one. And so I think again, to that point where, you know, the IUI failing and all of that, it, I guess, was for a purpose because it wasn't the right donor. And then God brought the right donor before we did IVF. (laughs) You are a very positive perspective person that is I mean I knew that when we were younger but it's good to see that that part is still strong in you even though you've been through a lot but okay so we fast forward to today where we you do your second IVF and you still go through all the stuff you know that you just you have the eggs but you still gotta do all that other stuff again um yeah and then yay you get another one um like another did you do the same thing where like you did. Yeah, I okay. took an at-home pregnancy test <laughs> again. <It's earlier. laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, how how were your emotions with with the second positive? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, and I knew this going into the second one, where I would be a lot less, not a lot less excited, but just a lot more guarded. Yeah. You know, because it was like with the first one, I was at the moon and you know I got kicked off really, really hard. And so mm. for this one, I was like, okay, I just want to set my expectations and hope lower so that it doesn't hurt as much if this one doesn't work out either yeah so it was definitely a lot more just cautious there was a time I can't remember exactly when it was but like Darren and I were in bed and then he was talking about how because work was crazy still and then he was talking about oh "Oh, you know you're, you're just sitting eight hours a day you should get up and walk around like think about you know your health and things like that and I just started like break I just like broke down and started crying and I was like I know you're saying this to be loving and be helpful but what that kind of feels to me is if I don't do that it's like my fault if I miscarry again you know I Mm. didn't I didn't go on enough walks or whatever and then on the other side my mom was like oh try not to move at all because you don't you don't want to like dislodge the baby or whatever so it's like two conflicting you know obviously two people who love me very dearly and are not trying to do this with any type of bad intent but it was I didn't realize how much fear and anxiety I had around it until that moment when I just started crying because I felt like 
no matter what I do, if I walk a lot, if I don't walk a lot, it will impact this pregnancy or whatever. So I think just little things like that will, when we talk about, you know, how this impacted our marriage and stuff like that, it just allowed us to have more open lines of communication about how we felt and, and how, what someone was saying to the other person was impacting the way that we felt. Not that you asked about that, but. (laughs) I will, I will get there. (laughs) Cause even when we like, I Instagram messaged you when you were sharing all those weekly pictures and it was like the time, like when I finally saw your smiles, when you share your bump pictures, it's like, right. Cause you, you, you can see like that there was a guardedness, not because you're not excited, but you know, there is like a, you want to make sure this is like, like this is a treasure. Right. And so yeah. I'm, it's like really, and now whenever I see your bump pictures, I'm like, okay, like, she's so excited. She's so big. Like that. Um, what, what's pregnancy like for you? Um, other than the first trimester, cause I feel like the first trimester took forever. I, I don't know about you, yeah. but I feel like the first trimester is so scary that I just mm-hmm. wanted to fast forward to the second trimester as fast as I could because of what had happened. Anytime I felt really nauseous or whatever, I was so thankful because I was like, okay, that means something is still there. Something is still happening. So yeah, first trimester was okay. A lot of anxiety. I think second trimester was really like the honeymoon period where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm safe, you know? And then, but then obviously there's also higher risks of like heart defects and stuff through IVF. And so there was still that anxiety before every appointment, because at every appointment where they're like, okay, now you're, you're cleared for, you know, Down syndrome, you're cleared for spina bifida, you're cleared for heart defects. Mm -hmm. It's like every step was like, is my baby healthy? Is he growing, you know, well, and that was still scary, but I... I think at that point in the second trimester, I was like, okay, I am ready to be excited about this now. Yeah, (laughs) Um, to be your emotions of joy. Yeah. Mm. And then, yeah, and then the third trimester, I mean, so far so good. I still have six weeks to go, so I'm sure I'll get uncomfortable soon. But so far, it hasn't been too bad. And he moves around like crazy. So it's always reassuring when I can feel that elbow sticking out of my belly. (laughs) Yeah, I think like even reading that in your third post, right? One of the things you said was a key moment is um, just seeing him dance, right? But then I think I read somewhere like you love the kicks and you love Mm -hmm. the elbows because it's dang I remember hating those you know but like I was like that's a perspective and like it it was really humbling to read and I think what we could take for granted and just like remembering like those are all really things to be grateful for and I think once again you just sharing was helpful for like other people to remember like a beautiful like positive perspective to things okay so I guess now that you're oh my gosh six weeks so we're uh, for those of you that are listening, this will play in like a few weeks, but right now she <laughs> is six weeks before due. Um, and so I guess like what are some like of those planning things that you've been able to do, like the things that you said, like all the registry stuff or like I saw you just had the baby shower, which was like a freaking yeah. wedding, which is amazing because <laughs> there's so many people who love you and want to celebrate this like crazy journey with you. So like just like share all of those things. <laughs> we we joked that it was wedding part two because honestly yeah. I it was beyond anything I could have ever have hoped for or imagined but my sister-in-law Renee planned everything from Texas like she shipped a whole bunch of decorations Aww. over to our house they flew in the day before like two days or a day before um and then you know all of Darren's family and my family flew in as well and came to help set up so it was definitely a a team effort but 
you know, I was like, let's just, let's just keep it low key. You know, we're still like in the middle of a pandemic, (laughs) but no, they went all out. (laughs) And I was so, so grateful for that because yeah, I mean, it just showed me how much he is loved already. Um, And that just made me feel, yeah, I, I don't even know how to put those, put that into words because I feel so grateful for, for that support and that community. Um, Mm. And then and yeah, then I like saw the stories nursery. of nursery, like, <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh. It's like all my Pinterest so, dreams come true. Seriously, like like I mentioned before, Grace is like some boss <laughs> at Pinterest and clearly you can check out her nursery decor. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's just, I before that, like I had written in my journal, you know, there are so many positive things that came out of this process, but then also so many things that, I still kind of mourn a little bit things, you know, you see videos of people who, when they do the gender reveal, like they don't even know what the gender is. And so they like do the gender reveal and then they start crying because they're like, oh my gosh, it's a girl. Or like, oh, it's a boy. And like, I will never have that because when we did the genetic testing, we found out the genders of all of our embryos. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and then like, you know, you can pick which one to put in first, but then at the same time, like, I like that because it gives me more control over kind of the, you know, the, what gender I want to have first and things like that. Um, or I don't know. I It's just like stupid little things that I know that I will miss out on because I had yeah. to go through this IVF process. But at the end, it's like what actually matters is a healthy pregnancy, a healthy baby, and the fact that we can grow our family thanks to science. So I'm yeah. still very, very grateful for that. But it's, it's like this, I was reading this one book, I can't remember what it's called. Um, but she did like such a beautiful job describing life, um, saying that, you know, you can be so happy about something. Oh, uh, it's called No Happy Endings. And I'm not done with it yet. So I can't recommend it yet. But um... um, if you follow Grace, she like rates all of her books. So (laughs) sign up for later. But okay. (laughs) Um, But she lost her husband. Um, because of cancer and then she lost mm-hmm. her I think father and then she had a miscarriage all in the span of six weeks and then like a few years later she actually remarried and she like loves her new husband and you know she mm-hmm. has children through him and then also she has her own child that she had with her first husband and she's like I'm so happy like I love my new husband I love my family and I'm so happy but I'm also so effing sad and it was like uh-huh. such a great description because it's like you can be so happy and so grateful about things while at the same time holding space still for grief and sadness. And that's okay. You know, you don't have to be one or the other. I think that's what makes life rich is that you're able to feel both ends of the spectrum. Um, So I just remember that anytime I feel sad about something or every time I'm like, oh, like this didn't work out the way that I wanted, you know, instead of being like, oh, you're such a bad person for being so ungrateful for what you have. It's like, no, I can feel that and still be grateful for what I have. So you're so like emotionally wise I I need to have you back on so I can like dissect like how to be like grace in the other way you know like seriously um every amen to everything you just said and I think like even before you shared about the book it's just like it's so true I think like at this point sometimes we could feel you could feel pressured to like see the happy part but I Mm. love that you're letting yourself still mourn the things you don't get to experience even if on the other side you get the control of that part you 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 Mm. like that part but it's it's still okay to mourn that and I think that's so like so mature and I need to figure out my own emotions (laughs) (laughs) so anyway um 
I, I, I think there was a couple things in your last post that I wanted to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. One being you wrote in your key moments that you remember from this journey. And one of them was having a huge fight with Darren over absolutely nothing in late June, which led to a lot of tears and talking, which forced us to wake up from being emotionally numb and made us realize that by turning off hope due to our infertility issues, we were turning off joy and love as well. It scared us to try and hope again, but we couldn't intentionally love each other without feeling the entire spectrum of our emotions. And you, I feel like you kind of like put nuggets of this as you were sharing, but I just kind of wanted to take this time to like focus on what that marriage looked like and how it grew actually through this time and also like the difficult parts in between. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it. it's like hard to know looking back. Yeah. I mean, I guess... It, it like it's it's just like ups and downs right it wasn't yeah. like a c- constant like we were we had struggles or it wasn't like a constant we were super happy with each other it just had its ups and downs and i i still remember the fight it was like we went to tahoe for the first time in a long time with his family and we were trying to feed the cats and i accidentally like opened a door and the, the cats ran in when he wasn't ready to like put their food down or something it was something stupid stupid um, <laughs> yeah and so and then like you know he got mad and then i got mad at him for being so mad and then <laughs> we were just like why did we get so angry at each other about this stupid thing i think it just came down to at that point i think we had already gone through the miscarriage and yeah. we're kind of in the process because after the miscarriage, I still had to go through like two rounds oh, of surgery, surgery. Mm-hmm. yeah, to get the the fetus out. Because um, sometimes your body kind of expels it on its own, but other times mm-hmm. it doesn't. And if it stays there, it will obviously be very harmful. Oh yeah, we went to Tahoe after my two surgeries actually, and so we hadn't started the process of the second round of IVF yet. And so we were just both very like sad and tired. <laughs> And I think at that point, we weren't in being intentional with each other because we just didn't have the emotional capacity to do so. Yeah. yeah. And just knowing that we had to go through all of that, I think we had both just kind of turned off our intentions and our feelings towards one another. And so when we got super angry, I think that was just a like a manifestation of like all the bottled up emotions we had inside of us then that night we just had a time it wasn't that night it was a few nights later after we had some time to process we talked about it and said you know I think we just need to be more intentional we need to to talk more and we need to allow ourselves to process these emotions and and feel hope again because I think we just didn't want to hope again because we had just gone through these two surgeries and you know he was gone like our baby was gone without feeling hope and like joy. I don't know. I, I feel you can't just turn off one piece of emotion. You either feel emotion or you don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's really true. Cause I mean, it, it kind of puts what you said earlier, you know, like you felt all the emotions, whether that be some happy ones and also still mourning. So in this sense, like being able to turn, turn that back on was, was vital for you guys to begin before beginning this second IVF process. Mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm. And then I think for us, what really helped during the pandemic and during this whole process was setting aside time every day to go on a walk together without, you know, phones, Mm -hmm. without any distractions. Um, Because during that walk, we would just talk about so many things and it doesn't have to all be deep things. Sometimes we would talk about work. Sometimes we would talk about just family stuff, but then it 
just provided a space for us to then go into kind of deeper conversation if we needed to. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing is just making that space for each other. You know, when you're at home and I'm sure for you, when you're taking care of a child, like there's so many things in life that can distract you. But yeah. if you allow yourself to make space for the other person, I feel like it really helps bring things forward that you may not necessarily plan for. And so I think that was the best part of, of those walks is just being able to have that time. That's good. And for me, reading this final post of yours, I think it's like being connected also through like faith as well and being able to read even the ways that I think you wrote, um, maybe this is me just trying to find purpose and meaning. But I'm like, no, this is like God's <laughs> heart for you, right? And and you you write like, this is something Darren reminded you of too. Not your, not like you realized it on your own was just, um, anyway, so they, let me read it. Um, I didn't realize this until Darren said it, but we found out we had miscarried in April of this year and our second will be born in April of next year or next month yeah. for us. <laughs> and then you wrote, um, I don't think we'll ever forget the grief of the first pregnancy, but I feel this is God's redemptive way of healing what that month means to us. Even though this wasn't what I had imagined for our future looking back, I feel like God has actually been preparing my heart for this moment. How? Ever since I was young, I always wanted, one, to have a boy first, two, to have a multiracial family, and three, to adopt a child. I feel like he put those desires in my heart because he knew since the beginning that I would embark on this journey and his plans are greater than my plans. He's fulfilled all those desires in the craziest ways. He is with you guys. And this is just like something when I was reading, I was like, that flashlight now is coming to my head, right? Where like you see this crazy picture where even still you can have those feelings of like, is, is this the way I would have gone about it? I don't know. But you mm -hmm. see how he he knows the desires of your heart and, and just the ways he healed you guys or like, yeah. Anyway, so I kind of want to just talk about that and like how your relationship with God is today, but also just like sharing in those three things of what you wrote about, like having a boy, multiracial family and adopting a child. Like, what does that mean when Darren was able to like point that out for you? For for the April thing, like that was something he pointed out to me that I was like, oh, yeah. wow, I didn't I didn't even realize that. And that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and then for the other three things, I think it was something that like as I was journaling, actually, it was something that I realized was because I grew up with an older brother, ever since yeah. I was little, I was like, oh, if I ever have a family, like I want my my daughter to have an older brother. So I want a boy first. And it's not something that anybody can ever control. But through IVF, you know, we were able to control that. And Darren is also an older brother. Um, mm -hmm. So we were both like very in in sync that we wanted a boy first. The multiracial family thing, like, I don't know, I've always wanted a multiracial family ever since I was really little. But then I met Darren and he's Asian. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, I guess I guess that's not going to work out. But then through IVF and through sperm donors, you know, I, we can't have a multiracial family. And then finally with adoption, that was also something that I've always wanted to do ever since I was young. I don't even know why. I just, I always wanted to adopt. And um, as I've gotten older and, you know, realize how expensive kids are, yeah. <laughs> I was like, eh, I probably wouldn't have adopted if I didn't sort of have to, you know, and, yeah. you know, now with this whole process, like, I think my heart for adoption is still there and I still really mm -hmm. want to. And I don't think I would have actually gone through with it unless all of this had happened. So just in, in those ways, it's like all of those three desires I remember having or knowing that about myself ever since I was young. Yeah. And like, well, as I was journaling, 
I was like, wow, God fulfilled every single one of those. I think, <laughs> I think he knew, I mean, obviously he knew that this was going to happen to us. And so he did put those desires in my heart and he did fulfill that. And so, I don't know, it's just one of those things, again, hindsight is twenty twenty. I think if yeah. you told me, <laughs> if you told me, oh, like maybe when we were going through the thick of things, you're like, don't worry, you know, you wanted to have a boy first and yeah. <laughs> you want a multiracial family. So it's all going to work out. But like, ah, STF. But like, but now looking back, you know, I'm I'm just so in awe sometimes of the way that he works. And I think that's why I know that even if struggles come or even if tragedy hits, like at the end of the day, I don't, I can't see the full picture um, like he can. And so it's just kind of stepping out in faith and just knowing that, all right, you're God. I'm not. Let me know how, what you want me to do. Just like help me because I can't do this by myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you wrote in your final post again, like a verse, a verse Psalm 56, eight, record my misery, list my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? And I think that is that beautiful reminder that like, you know, there is this rainbow right now and there's all these like beautiful things that have come into fruition, but you know, he still has and holds like your pain. And, and so thank you for sharing your pain with us. Um, not just yeah. your close ones, but even in the post, like, obviously like, I feel very close to you in a connected way, but you know, like <laughs> to be able to have that honor to like just read through the things you went through and have this space right now to talk through things um, is like God has always used you in, in beautiful ways. So oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm sure you're like, trust me, this is like the start of the journey. Wait till he's born. Then you have a whole know, new. But, but yeah. But we're not going to get there because you need to enjoy this moment. And then later. <laughs> thanks. Three thanks. Months, I appreciate that. <laughs> um see yeah because I think one of my struggles is when people are like oh wait till you have two or wait till this Mm -hmm. one is this but I'm not there yet I don't know I mean I know I know some crap is about to come but let's just enjoy the stage so you're gonna do it and then we can talk in a little (laughs) okay so last thing for I guess our listeners in terms of your journey here is what are three bits of hope to cling on that you would say to someone who is on their own waiting journey to motherhood Hmm. Oh man, that's hard. <laughs> Three bits yeah. of hope to cling on to while you're going through it. Um, or advice. I think the first one would be, I guess advice would be, yeah, just surround yourself with uh, people who love you and who can encourage you because you're not alone. It definitely helps to have people pick up the slack when you can't. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, just don't isolate yourself because I think that's the hardest thing. Like going through something is so hard already. If you isolate yourself because you're trying to protect yourself from feeling the emotions or from the pain, it makes it that much harder. So yeah, just open up, surround yourself with people. That's the first advice. The second advice is, I think for anyone going through it, if they're, even if they're not able to have their own biological children, I think what Mm -hmm. really resonated with me was this book called what no one tells you. And it's about like motherhood and things like that. In that book, she, the author was like, basically it's like biology doesn't make a family. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I think people are called to mother in different ways. You don't have to be yeah. a mother through having a biological child. You can be a mother through adoption. You can be a mother through someone else's child. Like maybe you are just like called to be the best aunt in the world or whatever, right? I think there's so many ways to nurture and to love children without 
having to have your own. And even though that's really, really hard to accept sometimes, I think that's true. So yeah, the second thing is just maybe open your mind to what like motherhood actually means in many different mm. ways. And then the third one is when you take the progesterone and oil shot, <laughs> make sure you ice the area <laughs> beforehand. Uh. <laughs> and then you go on a walk afterwards. That really helps with the pain. <laughs> so for those of you who are going through IVF, that's a pro tip right there. <laughs> Such practical advice. That's helpful. <laughs> Thank you, Grace. We're going to shift to things that define you outside of this story that you have um, so generously taken this time to share with us. What are three to five things, if we were to get to know you better in a different Mm -hmm. lens, that define you? Let's see. I think the first thing is that I see myself as a very open person in a sense where, and I used to actually hate this about myself when I was young because I always thought people who had like a very strong POV was and could like argue for it and fight for it were so admirable and they would like have so much confidence that they were right about something. And I always, I've always been a person who I could like see both sides of things. Um, mm. And I always thought that was kind of like a weakness, you know, like, oh, why don't you just like take a stand and have like a strong belief in something. But I think the older I get, the more I appreciate that about myself, which is I think because of that ability to see both sides, I tend to make people feel accepted <laughs> mm. um, about and like not judge their values or their beliefs or anything like that. And I'm able to connect with a lot of different types of people through that. So I think that is something that defines me. I think that's like the Enneagram nine that you're Mm. tapping into. By (laughs) by the way, about Grace, she's an Enneagram seven, but then it's one point away with what? What did you say? A nine, a two, and a three. Yeah. And Grace has always just seemed like this perfectly well-balanced human. And her her results have also shown that um, as well. But anyway, sorry, I cut you off. Continue. (laughs) No, no, that's totally fine. I think that's one. And then I think the second one is just, it kind of ties back to everything. But I think resilience is something that does define me. I think I have a very, have like a status quo level of sort of like happiness and contentment. And I, no matter what, I feel like I tend to bounce back to that um, at a certain point. Third, I think just (laughs) self-awareness. And I think that comes from journaling for so long, but yeah, I think I, I always say I kind of like therapied myself <laughs> ever since I was yeah. young, where <laughs> I, I think I was able to kind of like take a step back and analyze myself through my journal entries. Um, and that has kind of helped me come to the point that I am now, which is I don't think I've ever accepted or loved myself as much as I do now than I, mm. I've ever done in my life. Like I've, I've always had this like a lot of like shame and like self-hatred, I think, <laughs> of mm. myself and at least in my late twenties to now in my early thirties, I've like come to a po- come to a point where I'm finally able to say like, oh, okay, you're a pretty cool person, Grace. Like, yeah, I'm really able to accept myself as I am, flaws and all. But it took so much time to get there and to overcome that like inner voice of like self hatred and shame. And so mm-hmm. I think that self awareness is something that definitely defines me. Yeah, I feel like I need to have you back on to teach us like how to journal well and you know like what helped you build the resilience that you're able to bounce back, you know, like um hopefully I'll get a lot of requests for you so you'll feel not pressured but like warmly welcomed back <laughs> during your maternity leave where you have all the time in the world, you know. <laughs> Just kidding. You'll hear Thank baby you sure. hopefully cooing in the background. <laughs> yeah. If you could be any fruit, what would you be and why? Uh mango because I love mangoes. 
That's the only reason. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Okay. Um, and then I have a game for baby when he comes, um, things to know. So I'm going to ask you a question and you can share your answer and then I'll tell you if you're right or wrong. Okay. On average, how many hours does a newborn baby sleep in a 24-hour period? 16. Wow, very good. What is the average number of nice. diapers? Yeah. What is the average number of diapers a newborn uses in a day? 100. In a day. Uh, Wait. I don't know. 20? <laughs> I don't well, know. Um, it said around 12, but but okay. we didn't wow. use like 16. So um, <laughs> when does a newborn typically cry real tears? Like how old they are? Yeah. Uh, oh, two weeks, three weeks old? Three weeks to four weeks, about a month. Nice. Wow. Yeah. So before those are not real tears. I'm learning right now. Babies are born <laughs> without which body part? Oh, I know this. A kneecap? Yeah. <laughs> um, what can a baby do that an adult cannot? Uh, not have kneecaps. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, they can breathe and swallow simultaneously. Hmm. When do babies start crawling? Maybe like seven to eight months. Six to ten, seven to eight. Yes, perfect. Um, when can you bathe the baby for the first time? Oh, after their umbilical cord falls off? Yeah, which is like after like a week or two. Mm. Um, your baby will start to smile socially by how many weeks? Mm, eight weeks. Wow. Wait, you're really? Really? <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm really good at guessing, apparently. Yeah. So whenever you see them smile in like the first few weeks, like they're not, they're not true smiles. And so that's yeah. like really hard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then lastly, how far can a newborn see? Oh, uh, seven inches. <laughs> I don't know. Eight inches. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what the <laughs> You are a great test taker and you're going to be a wonderful mom, whether you got these correct or not. <laughs> I am not Googling. I promise. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> Where can we find you, Grace? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. What is my handle? Grace E. Yun 89. <laughs> I seriously would recommend because I feel like I screenshot so many of your book recommendations. I haven't really gone back to like read them afterwards, but <laughs> this one. Um, so follow her there. And then I would recommend um, if you want to read her blog posts at www.yourstruly-grace.com. Okay, any any final words from you before we end this wonderful time? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I mean, this is really fun. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for talking to me for almost two hours when you're 34 weeks pregnant. And <laughs> we're really excited to see him when he arrives. So hoping for a wonderful delivery and a good final nesting period for you and Darren. Yeah, send me any tips that you have. <laughs> I am open. <laughs> I feel like I'm still learning, but I'll, I'll, I will when I think of something. <laughs> All right, Grace Law, I'm so happy to have had you on, and we hope you guys enjoyed Kohler Commentary. Wow, I'm over here with a huge grin on my face because we just finished our first episode of Kohler Commentary with the Korean community. Listening to Grace's story, I am just so amazed by how many wrenches were thrown her way, yet her spirit and mind came out even stronger. Thank you, Grace, for sharing your story with us and reminding us of the beautiful journey in processing. 
Thank you and also to my listeners for your grace as I try to guide a conversation I am not equipped in and letting us all sit and be inspired by Grace's story. We are so excited for baby boy Yoon to come soon and sending big prayers and warmth your way. If you love this episode as much as I did, head on over and rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I would love to hear more from you on topics you want to hear. So go to Kohler Commentary to comment your key takeaways and join the email list to share what you want to hear about next. This is Unji Kohler signing off for now. See you next time.